I received my master's degree in Christian leadership from Criswell College in 2004. During those three years of taking classes that were all basically centered around the topic of leadership within the church, I came to ask myself a very important question. Who in their right mind would choose to be a church leader? <laughs> Given the responsibilities, the pressures, the fears that come with the position, who would want that job? It's hard to be a pastor. I was told all these qualities that it takes to be a good leader. I mean, there are volumes and volumes of books written on the subject of leadership. You have to have a vision. You have to inspire people. You have to be a good critical thinker. You have to be a good communicator. You have to be authentic. You have to be creative. You have to be flexible. You have to be dependable. You have to be intelligent. And the list goes on and on. You have to make hard decisions. And then when you make those hard decisions, your motives may be questioned. You may be unfairly criticized. You may be falsely accused. Your competence may be challenged. So I ask again, who in their right mind would want to be a church leader? And throughout the years of observing church leaders, observing pastors, observing people in church leadership, I basically have boiled it down to three kinds of people. Three kinds of people choose to be pastors and church leaders. One, people who desire the position for the power and the fame and everything that comes along with it. They, they, they want the prestige of being a pastor. I've actually had people say to me, I just wish I could preach and be up there so that people would look to me and think highly of me. The second group of people who go into church leadership are people who were either forced to do it or talked into doing it. Somebody along the way said, Man, you know, you would make a really good pastor. And, and they began thinking about being a pastor, and then they, they kind of feel like, well, this is what everybody thinks I should do, and so maybe I'll just kind of go into being a pastor, or maybe they are at a, a small church where they kind of have to step up and become the pastor because they're forced into doing it. They're kind of pushed into doing it. And then you got a third group of people who were called by God to the position. So I think those are the three basic reasons that people become pastors. They, they want the power and the prestige and the fame and, the, uh, and, and my goodness, in, in the uh, American culture, they want to become a celebrity pastor so that everybody knows their name and everybody knows who they are uh, or they're forced into it or talked into it or they are called by God. And the truth is, when you look around the church in the United States of America, I believe we have people serving in roles of pastor for the, all three of those reasons. But in today's text, Peter is going to address those who are elders in the church and he's going to instruct them on how they are going, how they have to conduct themselves as leaders. And what this text will do is it will eliminate the first and second from being pastors at all. It will eliminate the first two from having the right to being pastors at all. So let me read with you 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 5, and then 
we'll dive into this text. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The first thing that Peter does is he exhorts the elders in local churches. This text follows on what Brother James talked about last week, about the church suffering well. And judgment or, or correction or instruction is going to come first to the church. Now, I think this is very important to understand that this is coming on the heels of that for two basic reasons. It tells us that God is going to hold elders responsible for the way that they lead the church. If, if judgment is going to start in the church, then it's surely going to start with the, the pastors who are leading the church. So it comes on the heels of this and it lets us know that, that God is going to hold accountable pastors who pastor churches. Second, it tells us that elders are given to the local church to help them navigate how to live for the kingdom of God, how to live for the, the kingdom of the gospel, how to live that out in trying times. Is not this whole book mentioning the suffering that the church has to go through, the various trials, the difficulties, and then right on the heels of what we talked about, about suffering well last week, that, that now he comes into talking about elders and pastors and leaders of the church. It is the pastor's job, the leaders of the church's job, to help the church in the midst of trials and difficulties and hardships to live for the kingdom well. Now I want to mention here that when you see the term elder... In the New Testament, this could simply be a synonym or another word for pastor. Peter is addressing pastors in local congregations. Pastors who are leading their churches. And in order to encourage the elders, Peter is going to align himself with the pastors he's writing to. And he does this in two ways. First, he says, I'm a fellow elder. I'm a fellow church leader. I'm a fellow pastor. I'm, a, I'm, I'm one who, who is right there with you. I understand the, the pressures, the responsibilities, the hardships, the fears that you have as elders because I am one of you. And then he says, and a witness to the sufferings of Christ in verse 1. Peter witnessed Jesus' ministry. He witnessed the suffering that came. In Jesus' ministry. By the way, Peter also shares in the suffering of Christ. Remember Brother James talked about that last week in our text? That we are to share in the sufferings of Christ. Peter is able to say, not only have I witnessed the sufferings of Jesus, I've also shared in the sufferings. I've also had the difficulties. I am right there with you understanding what it means to have to help lead the church. Of course, he has also witnessed the glory of Christ. 
He was one who was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He got to see Jesus transformed in his glory. He also got to see the resurrected Jesus Christ. So he's like, listen, I have witnessed the sufferings, but I've witnessed the glory that comes because of the suffering. And I am going to be a fellow partaker with you in the glory that is coming for us because we suffer rightly. We suffer well for the kingdom of God. So look what he's doing here with pastors. He, he's coming alongside them and he's saying, listen, I'm one like you. I get it. I understand how difficult it is. I understand how hard it is. Remember, I was one who saw the sufferings of Christ. But I also saw the glory of Christ. And I am partaking in the suffering and I will partake in the glory right along with you. It's going to be revealed when Jesus returns. So Peter, his whole goal here is to exhort the elders, to encourage the elders, the pastors, to do their job well. Then he's going to describe how elders are supposed to do that. How these pastors are supposed to do that. And he does that by referring to them as shepherds. Verse 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God. So elders are pastors and their job is to shepherd the flock of God. Now, the shepherd motif, the, the, the shepherd picture, the shepherd uh, imagery has been used for leaders all the way back in the Old Testament. Okay, this is something that has been used over and over and over again. I've got some examples here for you. When God called David, who, by the way, what was David's job when he was a young boy? He was a shepherd. When he called him to be the king of Israel, he says to, about him in Psalm 88, 7 through 71, he says this, He chose David his servant, took him from the sheepfolds, from following the nursing ewes. He brought him to shepherd Israel his people, Israel his inheritance. So he calls him to come and shepherd Israel. God criticizes the shepherds who do not do it rightly. Those, those people who are in charge of Israel that are supposed to lead Israel and supposed to shepherd Israel, when they don't do it properly, they get this criticism. Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel, you have been feeding yourselves. Should you, not she should you, not she should you shepherds not feed the sheep? <laughs> then, of course, who's the good shepherd? Who's the good shepherd? Jesus is. In John chapter 10, Jesus is, is preaching. In verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. So do you see this? In the Old Testament, leaders of Israel were called to shepherd the people. When they did it poorly, they received the judgment of God. And this was all pointing to the one, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, right? And the suffering servant comes to gather the sheep up. Jesus comes and says, I'm that good shepherd that's gathering the sheep. I'm the good shepherd that comes and, and gets the sheep and brings them in. I'm the one who's going to shepherd them properly. They are my sheep. 
They're my sheep. And then in John chapter 21, the reason why this is so perfect for Peter to say, the reason why Peter saying this is so perfect, do you remember what happens in John chapter 21? Peter has denied Jesus three times. Jesus has cooked the disciples' fish on the beach. And he gets some special alone time with Peter. And in John chapter 21, 15 through 17, this is what we read. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. You see why this might be really important to Peter? You see why Peter would want to make sure that who's ever leading the sheep of God, which by the way, whose sheep are they? They're the good shepherd sheep. They're Jesus' sheep. Shepherds who pastor local churches are really under shepherds. We shepherd on behalf of the chief shepherd or the good shepherd. They're not our sheep. We don't get to do what we want to, right? They're God's sheep. This is so important for Peter because Peter literally heard Jesus say to him, shepherd my people well. Feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Feed my sheep, Peter. So now Peter is instructing other shepherds on how to do this. He wants to make sure they do it well. He wants to make sure they understand. Listen, this is the flock of God that you're shepherding. You are under shepherds and you better do this the right way. They're not your sheep. So shepherds, pastors are shepherds, but they are under shepherds. They are shepherds who are shepherding for the good shepherd. Now, how are they supposed to do this? This is where we will eliminate number one and number two of the three groups of people that go into being pastors. It's going to eliminate number one and two right here. Verses two and three. First, he says, do it willingly. Do it willingly. Not under compulsion, but willingly. This means no one should be forced or coerced into taking the position or the, the, the pastor role. For anyone who does not have it in their heart is not going to take care of the sheep properly. If you're forced into doing something that you really probably don't want to do or you're really not called to do it, you're not going to do it well. That's why we have pastors doing all kinds of crazy, stupid stuff to the sheep in churches all over the world is because we have people who are not, they're forced into it. They don't really want to do it. They don't really want to be serving. And so they're, they're forced or they're coerced or they're talked into it. 
And they're not doing it willingly. This is why he says you must do it as God would have you. Uh, another translation is according to God. In other words, this isn't something that you, that you can be forced into doing. This is something that God has to call you to do. This is something that God has to drive you to do. This also speaks about being a people pleaser. You can't be a pastor and a people pleaser. Church, let me tell you something that is very important for you to understand. A pastor's job, our job as pastors, is not to give you what you want. It's to give you what you need. And, and sometimes those two are not the same thing. Sometimes we have to feed you and we have to, to protect you and we have to um, put you in the pen. And, and, and it may not be what you want at the time. It may not be what you want to hear. It may not be what, what, you, what you desire at the moment. But our job is, is not to, to, please what, to please you by what we tell you, but to give you what you need. There are times where, where we're going to be preaching and teaching and discipling and, and, and nurturing the body. And we're going to say some things that you may not like in your flesh. That you may push back on. That you may say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But our job is not to give you just what you want to hear. It's to give you what you need. And if a pastor has not taken that job according to God and they've taken that job under compulsion or they've taken that job because they've been talked into it, they're going to become a people pleaser. Not living for the applause of God, not serving for the applause of God, but for the approval of man. You cannot care for the people of God if you care too much about the approval of man. Because you will not give the sheep what they need. So you got to do it willingly. Then he says you got to do it eagerly. Eagerly. This is referring to caring for the sheep from a servant's heart. This is why Peter talks about not doing it for shameful gain. Not, not taking the role for the power or the gain or the prestige or the celebrity or what you get out of it. But you take the position because you want to give. You want to serve. You want to love. It is not about what you can get, but what about what you can give. Not misappropriating resources for personal gain, power, or fame. Now, make no mistake about it. The Bible is clear. Churches should take financial care of their pastors. Okay? Pastors should not have to worry about their needs because if they do, they can't serve you with their whole heart. So I'm not talking about a pastor getting paid to do the role of pastor and being taken care of. What I'm talking about is the motivation of the person taking the pastor role. We don't take this role to get paid. We don't take this role for the money. We don't take this role for the next step that we can get. This church has had two head pastors, right? For its entirety. Brother James did not take this job initially to go, let me just use Calvary Hill as a stepping stone to a bigger place. You know that happens all over the country. 
Pastors take a job at a smaller church so they can use that smaller church to be a stepping stone to something bigger. And then to something bigger. Then they can write their books. Now, I'm not saying that's the heart of everyone who takes a bigger, bigger church. But I'm saying there are people who are into it for the selfish gain. You know why I know that? Because Peter has to say you shouldn't do that. Peter wouldn't be saying that you shouldn't do that if that was not going to be a temptation for pastors to do. Elders should not pastor in order to get, but in order to give eagerly. This is what they want to do. They want to serve. Then number three, by example. So willingly, eagerly, and by example. An elder is to lead by example, not domineering over those in your charge. This is not a do as I say and not as I do kind of thing. A pastor is not to be a boss or a bully. You know, we got that going on in churches all across America. Bully pastors. It's my way or the highway. Somebody said that to Brother James one time. Let me tell y'all something. I've worked with Brother James now for over 20 years. The idea that Brother James sits in his office just makes all, all these decisions about what this church is going to do and he, he comes to the rest of the staff and says, here's what we're doing. Get on board or get lost. That is not how it works. That is not how it works around here. He sits with us as pastors and we discuss what, what's best for our church. How should we go? How should we lead? How should we do this or should we do that? Brother James, I can't tell you how many times he said, this is what I think. And after discussing it, he'll go, okay, well, let's not do it that way. Let's, let's do it the way you said, Brother Rick. Now, usually Brother Rick, it's very few times that he says that. But, <laughs> but somebody accused our pastor of that one time. It's just your way or the highway. That's not how he has ever led. I wouldn't be here if he led that way. We'd butt heads and, and we'd never be able to serve together. No one can serve with a person like that. The fact that Brother James has had consistent staff around here for all of these years demonstrates that whoever said that about him was either lying or did not know him. It's the truth. You're giving me that gift card, right, for saying all this? <laughs> said he was going to do that. This echoes what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 27. Jesus 27. Jesus says this. Jesus called to them and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first must be your slave. Jesus says, we're not going to lead people by lording over people. We lead people by serving them. By being an example of how to serve and how to sacrifice and how to love. Of how to go through the trials appropriately. How to go through the various trials that Peter has talked about and the whole time doing it well. So it's to do it by example. 
not to lord over. So elders are to be shepherding people willingly, being called by God, eagerly with a pure heart, and by example, not bullying or lording over the people. And, and you know what the reward is for this? The reward for pastors who are actually called by God and willingly do it, and, and they, they do it with a pure heart, and they do it as an example, the reward is huge. Peter says, when the chief shepherd appears, verse 4, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. The word crown here is a prize that an athlete would receive from the emperor or from a government official when they won an athletic competition. Usually these are made of flowers and plants. And guess what flowers and plants do if you make them into a crown? They die quickly. They fade quickly. They go away quickly. Not so with the crown, the metaphorical crown that Jesus is going to give pastors who have served faithfully. This is an eternal glory they get. Makes all the responsibilities, all the pressures, all the fears worth it. Because you no matter what you're going through, you know that if you do it faithfully, God is watching. God is observing how His under-shepherds are shepherding His people. And make no mistake about it, those that do not do it well will be judged by God for not doing it well. And then look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to your elders. I want to stop right there. He contrasts here elders with those that are younger. Depending on what translation you have, it may say younger men. Any of your Bibles say younger men? Nobody says younger men? Good. That means you all have the ESV. Okay, here we go. Some translations translate it younger men. The reason why the ESV translates it just those of you who are younger, because the goal here, and I don't have time to go into all of it, but the goal here is to actually contrast church members from pastors. It's talking about the seniority that a pastor has in leading the church and the, the church member who doesn't have that role or, or Seniority. Does that make sense? So when it says here, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders, I think it's appropriate to, uh, to say that applies to all of you. Not younger in age, younger in position. You don't have the seniority that a pastor has or the headship that a pastor has or the responsibility that a pastor has. You're younger in that way. Many of you are older than me. But I am, when it comes to this church, I am a part of the seniority leadership of the church as a pastor, even though you're older than me. That's, that's what he's getting at here. And he says, be subject to your elders. I, I, I love that he says that because being subject means to line yourself up under. It means to, to come and put yourself underneath the, the leadership of these pastors because you believe they are going to be faithful. If you don't think the pastors of this church are going to be faithful to feed the sheep properly, why in the world are you here? That doesn't make any sense. 
And anybody who may listen to this sermon online, if you go to a church where you do not believe the pastors will be faithful to God's word and faithful to feed the sheep, then it doesn't make sense for you to be at that church. What you're supposed to do, this is why it says likewise, since the pastors are faithful, likewise, church members be faithful. If your pastors are going to be faithful to feed you, then you be faithful to line yourself up under their leadership and follow their leadership. Entrust your your family to their leadership. Paul says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Don't be the pain in the side of your pastor. Don't be one of those that when you come to your pastor, the pastor's thought is, oh Lord, no. (laughs) Be one of those that when the pastor sees you, they they know you're going to love them and support them and be faithful and willingly Place yourself underneath their leadership. There needs to be peace among us in our role and your role. Look how he ends this verse with mutual humility. Both shepherds and sheep are to be humble to one another. All of you be humble to one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. That, that, this last phrase... This week, really, man, I just started thinking, I thought, as, as ch- the church of Calvary Hill, this Calvary Hill Baptist Church, do we not want to be known as a place that God has graced mightily? Do we not want to be known when people think about us, they're like, man, God is just gracing Calvary Hill. Well, if we don't have mutual humility toward one another, then God will oppose us. He gives grace to us when we have mutual humility toward one another. When when the pastors are humble in their leadership of the people and when the people are humble in their following of the pastors. When the the sheep and the shepherd are, are both Humble in their attitude. God graces a church like that. God graces a place like that. I want to end this morning by talking about something in regards to leadership that I think is very, very important. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about joy and happiness. He wrote a lot about it. Um... And one of the things he said about joy and happiness is that if, you, if, you, if your goal is to be happy, if your goal is to be joyful, and that's what you go after, then you'll never, you'll never find it, though. Like, if, that, if, you, if, if you wake up and you say, okay, today, how can I be happy and joyful? And then you go after that all day, you'll never actually find it. You won't find if that's what you're searching for. Instead, say, how can I love Jesus today? 
And when I, when I wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to love Jesus today, guess what you will get as a byproduct? Happiness and joy. Divine happiness comes because we love Jesus. So it's not searching after the joy and searching after the happiness first. It's loving Jesus, going after Jesus, uh, searching after Jesus, crawling, running, falling, tripping after Jesus that the happiness and the joy comes as a byproduct. Now, they go together. Make no mistake about it. But you got to pursue the source in order to get the stuff. I think leadership works a lot like that. I don't think we come, I don't think it's good to come to leadership by abstractly thinking about how to be a good leader. I'm not saying don't read books on the subject. I'm not saying, listen, read books, think about how to be a leader, all that stuff's wonderful. But so often we can abstractly take, and I'm speaking from personal experience here when I was at Criswell, right? I take all of these definitional things about being a leader and then they kind of get set. I kind of just sit them over here and I, I think, okay, I, this is what I need to be a leader. I need to be this and 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 I need to be this. And it becomes so overwhelming because you're like, I, I can't do that. That's too much stuff to be a good leader. So instead of asking the question, how can I be a good leader? And then trying to follow all these things, I think the better question is, how can I love these people? And if I, as a pastor, seek out how to love people, guess what I will find myself being? A good leader. It's like a husband and wife. Remember we talked about headship and submission with the husband and the wife, right? And this idea of headship, there are so many books written about how to be a husband. And I'm not saying they're bad to read. They're good to read. They're wonderful to read. But if you take the idea of what it means to be a godly husband and you remove it abstractly from like the, the living every day and you kind of sit it over here and you're like, okay, to be a good husband, I got to have family devotions with my, with my family every single day. And if, I, and if I forget, I failed them today. You know what? I got to pray. I got I to gotta be the one. I got to be the one that always leads them in prayer. And my kids got to get saved by the age of six because they don't get saved by the age of six that I've messed up somehow. You know what? And I got to make sure my wife knows that I'm the head of the home. So if we get a disagreement, I need to let her know I'm the head. And you need to understand that I make the final rule around here. And do you understand? Do you understand that will never work? But if I say today, how can I love my family? How can I serve my family? Do you know I will be a leader for my family? A servant for my family. I think leadership works this way. We don't come to leadership on a daily basis asking how can I lead today, but by asking how can I love today. And when you get the answer to the second, you get the answer to the first. We as pastors, our job is to love you. It's to love you. 
And I can say from the bottom of my heart and I can speak for the other pastors of this church. We love Calvary Hill and its people. We love you. And we are doing our best to serve you. And what we want is for you to have that same kind of attitude. For, for you to wake up in the morning and say, how can I love people today? How, how can I love my fellow Christians? How can I love lost people? You see, all of us have been called to leadership. We, we, listen, we're kings and queens in the kingdom of God. How can we not be leaders? But I don't think the answer to you being a leader is to make sure you're following the list of everything that it takes to being a leader. I think the way you be, be a leader as church members is to ask, how can I love Calvary Hill? How can I love these people? It's the same question we ask as pastors. How can we love these people? I think that's how leadership works, practically. Like on the ground, like rubber meets the road. I think that's how leadership works. You find someone who willingly and eagerly just wants to be an example of what it looks like to love people like Jesus. Of course, you got, you're supposed to be able to preach and you study, of course, all that other stuff. You see what I'm saying? Does everybody understand what I'm saying here? Um, and I think we're blessed here at Calvary Hill with pastors that truly love you. And we don't think we're better than you. We don't think we love Jesus more than you. We don't think we know more than you. We, we love you. We want to serve you. We want to teach God's word well. Of course, we want to, we want to protect you. We want to correct when necessary. We, we, that's, that's what we've been called to do, but we want to do it because we love you. Um, and then likewise, the humility that you have on display for your pastors. That's how this will work so beautifully. And praise the Lord, that is how it's worked beautifully around here for all these years. That's why we're still here. But if that, if in the future, listen to me. Peter is writing this because trials, tribulations, and hardships are coming for the, the hearers of this and they are going to get worse. Guess what these local churches better figure out? How does this church member pastor thing work? We better figure this out if we're going to do this thing rightly and we're going to do this thing well because things are just going to get harder. And church, I don't know what God has planned for the United States of America, what he has planned for the world. I have no clue. But I do know this. The church has always been in various trials and sufferings. And we, pastors and church members, better get on the same page and get together and have mutual humility for one another or we will not be able to make it through whatever comes next. And God wants us to get through whatever comes next, glorifying Him, living out the kingdom. That's why He's addressing pastors here. Get on the same page, church. Get with your pastors. Pastors, you better know what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to do it. Church, here's how you're supposed to... Join up with your pastors and align yourself under them because things are hard and things are going to get hard and you got to make it through together.